0: Welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be.
1: Welcome back to the Dads with Daughters podcast, where we bring you guests to be active participants in your daughters' lives, raising them to be strong, independent women. Really excited to be able to talk with you again this week about the journey that we all are on in trying to be engaged with our daughters, raising them to be those strong, independent women we want them to be in society. And we know that there's not one right way to father. And that's why it's so important that we have these conversations every week because too often we kind of compartmentalize, we look inward at only at what we're doing. We think we have to do it alone and we don't. So it's important to be able to talk to others, to be able to hear the stories of others, to be able to engage with other dads. And every week I try to bring you new dads that are going to make you think about things in different ways. Sometimes I bring back dads, and that's the case this week. I'm really excited to be able to bring back Sean Jensen to the show. And if you didn't hear Sean in his first foray back in May of 2020, we had an opportunity to talk to Sean about really just being there, being engaged with his own kids, but also talking about what you can do as parents to be able to be engaged. I encourage you to go back and to view that. You can go to fatheringtogether.org and go to all of our podcasts there. But May 4th of 2020 was our first time that Sean joined us, and we also talked about his book series called Middle School Rules, and we're going to talk a little bit about that again today as well, but we're going to delve a little bit deeper into some work that Sean is doing with stress and student-athletes and just student-athletes in general, so I'm really excited to be able to have him back again this week. Sean, thanks so much for being here.
0: Well, I'm so excited to be back with you, Chris. I had so much fun the last time we talked. I know you and I have had the great fortune to have lunch together at one of my favorite Vietnamese spots and and it's really just good as you mentioned to just be in community, right? Because it's so hard to be a father of a daughter or just to be a father in general and and try to do it alone, you know. So I think just being in community is wonderful, and I really appreciate being a part of your community. Well, oh, I
1: appreciate you saying that because, like I did say, I mean it is so important to have that community, and you know even. For myself. I mean, I don't always have the opportunity to meet in person the guests that I have on the show. So it was a lot of fun to sit down, break bread, eat some great food, and be able to not get lost when I was driving around (laughs) Minneapolis. So that was a good thing as well. But I really wanted to delve a little bit deeper today and talk to you a little bit because I know that you have been Doing some work lately and talking about, and you've been talking about athleticism and kids for many, many years. But I read a recent post that you had posted about healing stress in student athletes. And I know having two daughters myself that are both student athletes, and I see the stress that they put on themselves and sometimes the stress that they feel from their coaches as well. So I know you have been involved in this for so many years. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you've learned? Not only what you've learned personally with your own kids, but in the conversations I I mentioned that you also write middle school rules and that has allowed for you to be able to really delve deeply into the minds of some well-known names in professional athletes. So I guess in the work that you've done with professional athletes and the work that you've done with your own kids and their friends, what you've seen, what you've experienced. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you are seeing when it comes to stress in student-athletes today?
0: Well, I think one of the bigger drivers of where I really pressed into it, other than being a dad and being a coach, one of the things that really drove me to really look at sort of stress in our children was, you know, I was a JV. First of all, I was a sixth grade soccer coach at my kid's school. You know, there's not always a sixth grade boys soccer team. It just really depends on the numbers and if somebody's willing to coach. So some years they have it, some years they don't. And when my son was in sixth grade, he begged me to be the coach and wanted to put together a team so he could play with his friends. And so I did that. We had a really fun season, one of the most fun seasons I've ever had coaching. And then I was asked by the high school athletic director, hey, heard great things. Would you be the JV high school coach? Which, again, is a pretty big leap from sixth grade, but he convinced me to do it. I did that for two seasons. During that time, I was a varsity assistant as well. And then last spring, the opportunity to be the boys varsity coach came up, and I really was not inclined to do it. But the reason I decided to is because, as you know, one of my passions is really just to empower, encourage kids, right? I, I just, I love sports. And for the kids who also love sports, I want to help them to grow as young people through the greatness that is sports. And I thought, yes, I could make an impact as a JV coach and a varsity assistant, but as the head coach, I could really influence the entire program, going all the way down to sixth grade for the boys. And so... I started to do that, which meant I got more touch points with students at all ages throughout our boys' soccer program. And I think one of the things that I really learned is that I was invited by the Kiwanis group in the East Coast to give a keynote, and my message was really around the word grace. And the point that I was trying to make is I really reflected during that time What I saw in the young people that I was working with and what I saw with these incredible, highly successful student-athletes, we had a rash of student-athletes who were killing themselves, right? Like NCAA athletes who people would say, oh my goodness, this person is so accomplished and boom, they would commit suicide. And as I really started to do some research and just reflect on it, I think the thing that sometimes we as adults as parents, as leaders in our community. I think we have struggled collectively during COVID. COVID has affected not only our health, but our finances, our job security, our ability to manage and lead our families. It's been really, really hard and in a very unprecedented time for adults. I mean, and and we're really not even out of COVID yet. It's still something that, that continues to be something. But I think in the midst of worrying about our own challenges and issues, we're forgetting that it also means that it's an unprecedented time for children, for our young people. And so you reflect on when you were in middle school and high school, Chris, and just the things that you were dealing with. And now add to that COVID, add to that parents who are stressed out about things that, again, are unprecedented. And I think we've forgotten that. We've forgotten how hard it is to be a kid. It's already been hard when we start introducing phones and social media and all these other influences due to electronics, but now you're adding this element too. And, and so in my own kids, I saw them struggling during periods of COVID, You know, being isolated, not being able to go to school and see their friends, not being able to go out of the house, not being able to go do their sports. Because everything was shut down for a period of time. And so I think that's been something that we haven't really acknowledged and that we're really not going to know the impact and the ramification of that for years to come. One very clear thing that I think we don't know yet is think about all that learning time that students missed during COVID, right? Think of all that learning that was missed. Now, my kids go to a small private school and they were able to sort of stay on top of things and track things. But the reality is, is for large schools, it's very difficult logistically to manage all that, right? It's, it's very, very difficult. And so there were things where students are missing big gaps, which means they're missing lessons, which mis- means they're, they're not getting some of the traditional teachings that they're supposed to. And when was it ever made up? The truth is it wasn't. And already in the United States relative to the world, we squeeze a lot of education into a small period of time. In Japan, I believe they go to school 11 months out of the year. So here in the United States, we've got summertime and we've got one or two week breaks sprinkled throughout the year. And so the amount of things that kids are having to learn, it's already on a pretty tight schedule and crammed in, you know. So. Those are some just just general thoughts, and I'm open to your specific questions, but I just think that that has been something that we have not maybe acknowledged and put enough attention on. And for me as a coach, as somebody who's passionate about sports, my thing is, is why would I want to add pressure and stress for kids in the space that I can control? So when I established my program, one of the cornerstones of the program was grace, And another one was joy. And I wanted to instill in our coaches and our parents that we are trying to create a joyful and grace-filled environment where kids look forward to coming to practice. They look forward to coming to the next practice. And they know that they're in an environment where mistakes are encouraged instead of criticized.
1: I love that. I think that that is so important because I see even on my own daughters' teams, sometimes parents that are so hyper focused on winning that they they get their students to also be hyper focused on winning. And A lot of times those are the parents that are, they're screaming at the refs or they're all upset with their kid if they make a mistake. And, you know, I kind of look at it and I'm like, whose experience is this? Yeah. Is it the student's experience? Is it your experience? Are you trying to live vicariously through your kid? What's going on here? And you don't always know, but a lot of times that goes through my head because I know that, I mean winning is important in some aspects, but especially at young ages, I mean, it isn't as important. It's more about teamwork. It's more about learning the fundamentals. So I guess for you, you talk about working with the parents to learn that grace as well. uh, But for working with parents or parents that do have kids that are in sports, what do you say to them, especially if they have some of these tendencies that I was talking about, about really living too vicariously through what their kids are doing.
0: Well, of course, I had a parent meeting and I felt it was very important. I'm, I'm big on setting expectations. And so before the season started, I set expectations. And so there was literally a document that was coach expectations, meaning the things that I expect of my coaches and that things that the student athletes and parents could expect of of us as a coaching staff, there were player expectations, right? Things about obviously, you know, doing well in school, you know, coming to practice, communicating well. I mean, just, you know, uh, making sure that you're prepared, all those type of things. And then there were parent expectations. And part of that is that we are a part of a private Christian school. And so being able to point to the values of our school, I mean, that was very easy to do. And so how you conduct yourself is a reflection of our school. So that was an easy thing to point to. And then being very specific to say that if something comes up with officials or if something comes up with fans from an opposing team to quietly go ask the athletic director or another school official on site to handle that, that it is not their place or is not appropriate for them to feel like they need to resolve that in real time. And so just being very clear about that. And then if they have issues with me about how I manage the game or how I manage their athletes playing time, I made very clear to say, Hey, sleep on it before you send an email. Don't approach me after a game. Don't text me after a game. Don't email me after a game, you know, at least sleep on it. And then two did, you know, for this, for the parents of kids who are playing at the high school level. And so my expectation, I'd say, is about eighth grade and above. Does your student-athlete know that you want to talk to me or one of my coaches about this concern? Because, and my point is, is that I believe by eighth grade, our young people are old enough to be able to go talk to their coach or teacher about their concerns, that they don't need mom and dad to snowplow their way and, and to solve all their problems and to anticipate any issues that come up, that we want to give our children an opportunity to speak for themselves, to problem solve, to interact with adults, and to deal with the highs and lows of that. They're not always going to get their way. There are going to be disappointments. There are going to be mistakes that are made, but that's okay. That in the right environment, our kids need that. Because the worst thing we can do is and, and the instinct is there, but we have to fight it as parents. The instinct is to solve all our kids' problems and to anticipate them and to get rid of those problems so that they can skate through and have this, this charmed life. But guess what? You can't protect them from the world forever. At some point, they're going to have to deal with some things. And so my thing to parents is try to put your kids, and, and you alluded to this, every kid is different. And so we have to really understand when our kids are ready for things. And I'll give you a real life example with my daughter. My daughter is very athletic and for her age, she's very big, right? She's very tall and she can run really fast. Well, I remember when she was 10 years old, there was you know uh, a parent from another team who's at a, a program that's got a, a big history in girls' soccer. And they're like, they our two teams played and my daughter stood out and he's like hey you got to bring your daughter over to this team you know we win all these tournaments we win all these games and they beat us that day you know 2 to 1 and bring her over and i said you know what my daughter's not ready for that she plays soccer for fun now my son when he was 10 years old you couldn't give him enough soccer you couldn't give him enough basketball you couldn't give him enough he just loved playing sports and so he And any opportunity he got, he'd take it. Well, my daughter did it just because we require our kids to be active. They're not just going to sit at home. They need to play some kind of sport just for, you know, just to sort of be a part of a team and and to get some exercise and to learn about life through sports. And I told them, like, she's not ready for that kind of commitment. She's not ready for that kind of culture, you know, where winning is important. On her team, her team was very successful, but it wasn't like this win-at-all-costs mentality for the coach or the other players or the parents. And you know what? I don't know when she'll be ready for that, Chris. She's going to turn 12 soon. She still just casually plays soccer and she's still very good, but I'm not going to thrust her into a situation just because she can. Do you understand what I mean? I think our job is to put our kids in a position when we can to to thrive or to learn. And I just don't think she's at a mental, emotional state where if I thrust her into this very competitive and cutthroat environment, that it's going to be a positive for her to experience that as a soon-to-be 12-year-old.
1: Completely understand. And I think that sometimes kids are being pushed more and more to spend more and more time to become that expert in a specific sport when they're younger and younger I see it all the time with these travel teams and students being forced to, if they want to make that high school team, they've got to be on the travel team or they, if they want to be a starting player that they've got to be on these really expensive travel teams and to, and more and more I'm seeing students being forced into specializing in a sport earlier and earlier, which a lot of studies have shown that's not the best for young kids to focus only on one sport because of your muscles and growing and that be, that kids that are able to take the time to play multiple sports, to work on different muscle groups, that helps them to be able to, to be a better athlete altogether. Are you seeing that in your own athletes and the students that you're
0: working with? Yeah, I, I think it's really important that kids not specialize. I mean, again, my daughter's soon to be 12, and she played volleyball for the first time in the fall, and she's playing basketball for the first time now. She initially, you know, she tried gymnastics, she's done swimming, she's done a lot of different sports, and she enjoyed soccer. She enjoyed her team, her coaches, uh, which included me at one point for a couple seasons. And so that was kind of her thing. But we always encourage her, hey, try other things. You might like them more. Who knows? And so, again, maybe she's late to the party as a basketball player, as a volleyball player. I think in the spring she's going to try track. But here's something that I've learned dealing with professional athletes and Olympic champions and and high level athletes is there's the whole idea of nature versus nurture. The, The reality is, is if your kid is going to be a college level or pro level athlete, a lot of that's not even in your control or, or his or her control. You know what I mean? Like there's no explaining. How many times do you see an athlete who started playing basketball at 15 years old? who's now, you know, I, I can't remember what age, but Giannis was a teenager when he started playing basketball. Now, why is Giannis one of the best players in the NBA? Not because he started dribbling a ball at three years old. I mean, a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's seven foot one and is exceptionally fast and jumps out the gym, right? I mean, that's that has nothing to do with anything his parents, quote unquote, developed in him, right? He didn't become this all-NBA player because his parents got him shooting training at at eight years old. Meanwhile, the sports landscape is littered with kids whose parents invested thousands and tens of thousands of dollars in specialized training for speed and strength and hitting and jumping and gymnastics and all those things with the idea and the goal in mind that it was going to parlay into an opportunity to compete at the college or pro level. And they never came close, right? So we as parents, our job is to reframe the definition of success. What are we trying to get out of this? And if you're trying to get your kid to get a college scholarship, then you're most likely setting yourself up for failure. But if your goal and expectation is that, I am trying to help my child do the best they can in this particular passion of theirs. And I'm going to give them all the opportunities and provide them the uh, the access to be able to chase those dreams. But understanding that the end game for me is not a scholarship, but for their development, for them to learn through. And again, this doesn't my passion is sports, Chris, but this applies to whether your kid has a passion for Lego robotics Or piano or dance, whatever it is. I think one of our primary functions as a parent is to steward our children, to provide opportunities for them. And at some point, they will show you what their passion is. Now, how do they show you what their passion is? They will show you what their passion is because they'll do it without you telling them to do it. You know what I mean, Chris? I mean, I don't know you well enough to know about your daughters, but. Think back to when your daughters were little girls. What was something that they just did on their own that you didn't have to prompt them to do? Oh,
1: definitely. I mean, when my kids were young, they, you know, they definitely at the time music was a big thing for my oldest, you know, so I didn't you didn't have to get on her about that and playing piano, but then she grew out of that, and then it was soccer, and then she kind of grew out of that, and then it was golf. So I mean, you go through these times where there is these these phases that kids go through, that they are passionate about something, that they love something, that they want to put the time and effort into something and you have to you have to support it.
0: That's absolutely right, Chris. And I had on my podcast, you know I've got a podcast uh, winning is not everything, which you almost said it earlier, which I was going to be very excited about. but I, I talked to athletes and, and influencers about their sports journey and then sort of their insights, and lessons that they learned. And one of the guests I had was a, a motivational speaker and war veteran named J.R. Martinez. And he was. we were talking about his daughter. And his daughter was nine. And he said his daughter started playing softball. And Jr. said, I didn't know anything about softball. But guess what? I went to YouTube and watched a bunch of videos about softball. And then I volunteered to be an assistant coach on her softball team. And now I'm the head coach. And I love softball. And I just thought, how cool is that? You know, and, and people say, oh, well, you know, your kids like soccer because you love soccer. No, when I was a kid, I played everything, right? I earned varsity letters in soccer and, and tennis. I played basketball growing up for many years. Basketball was my favorite sport. But it wouldn't have mattered. You know, the, the truth is, once my son showed an interest in whatever sport it was, I was going to coach him and I would have done what I could to become an expert in that sport or that activity so that I could be there to to join him on that journey. I don't know what it was, Chris, but when I was a young man and I thought about a family, I dreamed of coaching my kids in sports. I thought that would be so cool. That that for me, what it meant to be a father was to be able to have that opportunity to to coach them when they were very young and to enjoy that process and to, to watch them and help Teach them the fundamentals of not only the sport, but the fundamentals of being a sportsman, you know, a sportswoman, about respecting the opponent, about winning with grace, losing with grace, about uh, dealing with disappointment. Those were things that I really look forward to as part of my fatherhood journey.
1: I appreciate you sharing that. Now, I know that you've got a lot of going on right now. I mentioned that you're an athlete yourself or a coach yourself. And you're also an author. You've written a number of middle school rules books. I, I th- believe you have a new one coming out, and I'll have you talk to me a little bit about that. But I, you've got some other things coming too. Tell me about what's going on.
0: Oh, well, you know, it's funny. Like I think oftentimes when you're younger, you kind of have this idea. Of where you're going, and sort of you kind of have the idea of the end in mind. And I think just it's less about a defined plan and a defined song, and it's more like jazz, you know. And I've just kind of gone with the flow and I've just seen opportunities and accepted opportunities. I never would have thought that I would be a high school varsity head coach of a sport, never envisioned that when I was younger. I did think I would be an author, but certainly never a children's book author. Certainly not to have a seventh book that's about to come out. Um, And so a lot of this is, is unexpected, but I think kind of where I'm at now is, you know, my son's 15 and I really want to utilize all these things that I've learned and this insatiable desire to continue to learn from other, you know, experts and professionals and be able to share that with people who are coming up, people who've got kids, you know, and I think that youth sports is like the wild, wild west right now. And I think that parents are having a really hard time trying to discern who they should trust. And, you know, because you've come back to me now, but I feel like I've worked really hard to Earn a lot of trust. I don't take that trust lightly. And I want to just double down and start to utilize my network, utilize my content, my ability to communicate and share those insights for parents and try to give them some ideas. I'm not going to tell you, hey, this is the right way, this is the only way, because there isn't one way. And the variable that you can't sort of ever anticipate. Is each kid. I mean, Chris, are your daughters the exact same?
1: Heck no. They are completely different. And though they have some similar interests, they are vastly the polar opposites in many different
0: ways. And that's one of the lessons that I learned the hard way, Chris, right? My firstborn child was a boy who loved sports. And when he was younger, raising my voice would just get his attention and get him to fall in line. Okay. So that was one approach. That was my natural approach. Well, my daughter's four years younger, not a boy. Her first passion is not sports. And when you raise your voice, whether you're right or wrong, you raise your voice and she shrivels. When she was a little girl and I raised my voice, and again, even if I was justified, if I raised my voice, she would go to her room and and crawl under her bed. One size does not not fit all, Chris. And so I think parents who think that, okay, it worked, this way for my oldest child, and now I'm going to... No, you can't do that. Every child is different. We are all different. The way to communicate with my wife and the way to communicate with me, again, for people, my friends, it's different. And we have to be mindful of that. And so it takes a lot of work, but that work is necessary. Because you know what the downside is? The downside is, is maybe some of us are too lazy, and this worked for my oldest, and I don't want to adjust for the second one. And I'm just going to keep raising the kids and disciplining the same way I did my first one. And you know what the result is, is that you take the individuality, the uniqueness out of the second, third, or fourth kid, you know what I mean? And then you shape them to be somebody that they're really not. And then the long-term effects of that, that's a loss for the child. That's a loss for your family. And that's a loss for the community and the world because our hope is that we can, you know, steward our children to be the best that they can be, to pursue the things that they were designed to pursue. And that's not the same for everybody. So I, I always get a little uncomfortable when I see the family where there's five generations of doctors and everybody's in medicine. I think some of it's possible, but everybody? Really? Everybody wanted to be a doctor. Everybody wanted to be a nurse. Are we sure about that? Because the odds say absolutely not.
1: You no, know, I completely understand what you're saying, and I think you're completely right. You can't treat every child the same. You can't um, raise every child the same. You've got to be able to have a different plan with each kid, and you can use some of the some similar tactics, but every kid deserves your own time. Every child. Deserves that unique time to be able to, for you to be able to get to know them, for them to get to know you, and for you to be able to be engaged in the way that they need it versus the way that you want to provide it. Because what they need may be completely different than what you want. And you have to give it to to them that way because that's the way they're going to connect with you and you're going to connect with them.
0: I had this thought. I I did want to share this just because it it dovetails on what you just talked about. But one of the things that I really want to explore, you know, when when I uh, share this probably next month is we can't control our kids' wants, but we can help define their needs. That's our job as a parent. And so the parents who just whatever their kids want, they're going to fulfill it, that can be very problematic. But then for the parents who deny their kids' wants and then maybe incorrectly define what their kids need, that becomes problematic too. Obviously, our kids need to eat, right? That, that's a clear. So now my kids always want to eat. My son always wants to eat pizza, hamburgers, or mac and cheese. If I only let him eat those things, he would be very, very unhealthy. So yeah, he's got to get some other things in his body. He's got to eat fruit with every meal. It may not be what he wants, but I know that that's something that he needs. And that's our job. And I see too many parents who are not taking that responsibility seriously. Now, one of the areas that I see that in is video games. I see parents who let their kids play these violent video games for 10 to 12 hours a day. It could be very convenient as a parent. When your kid, you know where your kid's at. He's downstairs playing video games. He's not bothering anybody. But do we understand the damage that that's doing? Hey, once in a while, I get it. You know, your kid's on summer, winter vacation just happened for a lot of families. And your kid wants to spend a day just hanging out, sleeping in, and vegging out and playing video games with their friends, cool. I get it. But when kids are doing that every single day, There is untold damage being done to that child by doing that. I remember I was speaking at a school locally and a kid came up to me afterward and he had a question. I said, hey, what are you up to this summer? And he said, I'm just playing uh, what's that video game? Super popular uh, with with boys in particular and, and fairly violent. But he said he was playing that video game. I said, oh, wow. Well, how much are you playing? Well, my parents work, and so I just stay at home all day and play it. And I'm like, okay, well, how many hours is that? He says, I probably play 16 hours a day. Chris, it was summertime. Can you imagine that? This kid is going to have spent his summer playing a violent video game for 16 hours a day. Can't even imagine. So video games and devices, man. And, and hey, I'm sure you're struggling with it. I'm struggling with it. I don't have all the answers. Let me be very clear on that. I may have some insights, but I don't have the answers. My son, I fight with him all the time about not having his iPhone in his bed and, and on his nightstand. Now, the challenge is he's a type one diabetic and how we monitor his, his levels is tied to his iPhone. So it's very difficult. How do I balance that, Chris? I don't know. I don't know what the right way is, because guess what? If I take that iPhone and put it on the kitchen countertop like everybody recommends, it's too far and we won't know where his levels are at in the middle of the night. So how do I solve that?
1: I don't know that I have the answer to that either, but I think that it's a daily struggle and it's something that, again, going back to having a community around you and talking to other dads and learning from other dads, I think that those things are positive. Maybe that you have to set time limits for devices or set time limits for games to be able to still allow for some type of opportunity, but then you have to find other ways for them to keep them engaged in other things in that regard, especially like in your example of the of the summer. So this is great. I really appreciate you sharing all of this, Sean. And now if people want to find out more about you, your books, all the other things that you've got coming up, where's the best place for them to go?
0: I mean, my stuff is very easy. I'm at Sean K. Jensen, so S-K-J-E-N-S-E, I'm sorry, S-E-A-N-K-J-E-N-S-E-N. And that's my website. So Kjensen.com, But that's also my social media handle on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, and also Instagram and TikTok. So I've kind of got that same username across the board, which is nice. And I always am open. Like if people have questions or thoughts or anything, like feel free to reach out to me. I'm probably a little slower to respond on TikTok and Instagram just because I'm not on them as much. But no, I, I love engaging with people. And uh, again, I just want to make clear, like I am far from perfect. I think one of the things that has that I've learned about myself in my 40s here is that I am always just striving to learn and know that I'm never going to be a complete product. You know what I mean? Like, there's never a point where, okay, I've, I've made it. You know what I mean? And, and I think that that curiosity and that accountability is is something that served me well up to this point in my life.
1: Well, Sean, I really appreciate you being here for sharing everything that you shared today. And I'll put a link in the notes today for everybody to be able to check out your website. And I wish you all the best.
0: Thank you, my friend. We'll talk soon.
1: The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual, and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out Calling astronauts and firemen, carpenters and musclemen Get out and be the one to them Be the best dad you can be Be the best dad you can be